welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 43 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 23rd of May, 2010, entitled, God, the Holy Spirit, Part 7. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts, Chapter 6, Verses 1-7. to Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to open your Bibles this morning, Let's open to start with to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 6. While you're turning there, again, as we continue in our series of contending for the faith, the fundamentals of that faith that we're contending for and the fundamental teachings that we're looking at right now are those concerning God the Holy Spirit. And of course, as we have been looking at the practice of the Holy Spirit, we've looked at that practice that relates to conversion, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've been looking these past few sermons at the practice that relates to control, which is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to be directing our attention back to again this morning, We saw, first of all, in this matter of the filling of the Holy Spirit, that it is a command to be filled. It's not something that we can decide whether we want to or don't want to or should or shouldn't. We choose to either obey or disobey. Uh, It is a command from our Lord to to be filled. Then we saw, secondly, that we looked at the the control of those that are filled. That's what it's really all about is is God having absolute control of our lives. And of course, it's not us getting more of God, but it's God getting more of us. And that's what the feeling really uh, is, uh, is focused upon. And so we've been looking at the consequences of being filled. And of course, we uh, covered all of the, the purposes. And I think that's so vital and so important because, again, I remind you once again that Jesus Christ himself was the one that promised that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Paraclete, that it was important, imperative for him to go away so that he could send this one. Because if he didn't go, then the Holy Spirit would not be able to come, of course, we know, to indwell us. We've looked at all of those different things that, that his purposes were for, that Jesus himself spelled out. I remind you of those as we turn our attention back to these passages this morning that we saw that Jesus had said the Holy Spirit would coming would be coming for the transferring of Christ's work, not from just His one body, but to each and every believer, where His tendency, His taking up resonant within the believer. And of course, we know that when that takes place, that it's His presence within us that seals us to the day of redemption until our Lord comes back for us again with the teaching of God's Word. It's impossible to understand this book with just a carnal, fleshly mind. You can't understand spiritual things in the physical. We find that it's also said he was coming for the testifying of Christ. Uh, That's one of the great uh, empowerments that he brings into our lives, is that being able to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through that, the transforming of sinners 
Nobody's ever been saved without the Holy Spirit moving and, and convicting and allowing them to see their need and drawing them to the Lord. And of course, with the transmitting of all truth, once we are saved, it's only by the Holy Spirit that He teaches us. And of course, in the process, He always targets Christ's glory, not His own. He seeks to see Christ glorified in everything that He does. And of course, as we began to remind ourselves of those things, we looked into the Scripture, and we began last week looking at the consequences of being filled. And as we looked there, we looked first of all into, of course, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus Christ Himself, uh, before that He went up on the mount for the uh, time that Satan came to tempt Him, that we find that the Bible taught us very clearly that Jesus Christ was full of the Holy Ghost. We looked at the consequences on Pentecost. We looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. That was that initial coming of the Holy Spirit that they had been told to tarry for. We looked there at Pentecost at the consequences on Peter, the apostle himself. Again, carrying on out through Acts chapter 2 as we saw uh, Peter's sermon and we saw the results of that sermon when we find that 3,000 souls come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw the consequences on the people as we looked into, uh, into Acts chapter 2. And of course, as we, as we looked there, we, uh, those last four, verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2, uh, we saw that uh, you know, it gave them steadfastness, and it gave them power, and it gave them fellowship, and it gave them love, and it, you know, they, were, they were sharing this, and it gave them boldness as they were determined to, to do whatever was necessary to, to share their faith with others. And we began looking at the consequences during the persecutions. And we looked last week at the consequences on Peter and John as they stood before the high priest and his council, the Sanhedrin as we know it. We looked at the consequences on the people's prayers as they prayed those prayers and saw them answered. And of course, on the people's possessions. Once God moved in and God took over control, I mean, basically, there was no more selfishness left when He was in control. They were willing, you know, just to, to take everything that they had and just put it so that, so that everybody could share equally and that everybody would have the same. And of course, I made the point then that that wasn't a government telling you had to, as in the, the communist states today, but that was Christian love and compassion and caring God doing that within us that would never come natural in the flesh. I want us to turn our attention as we continue today, as we're still looking at the consequences during the persecution, during the, the persecution of the church, uh, the first church there in Jerusalem. Notice as we take our scripture reading this morning from Acts chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 7 to start with. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, we've seen a lot of that taking place, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full 
of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this time that we can have together. We pray for your touch, for your anointing, for you to undertake, Lord, for you to help as we look at this important subject, because, Lord, we realize that everything from your word is important. Father, as we look today, we realize that if we're to gain anything, it must come from you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen and amen. So God was blessing the church so much. And we've seen where they were being saved by the thousands. But there within the church, we find that there was some discord started to slip in. Now, there's a couple of things, and I'm going to just point a lot of these things as we go because there's, there's a lot of scriptures. And remember, my aim is this. I'm trying my very best to be gracious and loving to our brothers and sisters in Christ that would disagree on this subject. And some of you may not ever even agree with everything that I say about it. But I'm also trying to be simple and plain and firm. And what I've challenged you is that we are looking at this point, as we look at the consequences, we saw what Jesus Christ said that the Holy Spirit was coming for. Now we're looking at what happened through the book of Acts, which is that that great transitional book from the Old Testament to the New, the Acts of the Apostles that were literally working under the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've often wondered if maybe it wouldn't have been more appropriately titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit instead of the Acts of the Apostles. Just as often we look at the revelation of John when it was really the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth is, is that as we look here, that we see mighty things that are beyond man's control that are taking place. They were instructed to wait for the Holy Spirit because they were not going to be able to accomplish the task without it. And we see a lot of things happening, and our purpose now is looking at every instance in this book, which is the only book of the Bible where that we, we find this, this, this filling of the Holy Spirit being literally uh, accredited to certain people and certain things. We certainly find as we look into the churches, we find some of the results as we look into some of the, the fruits of the spirits and those things that are there. But what does the Bible say took place? Because there's so much teaching about today that, that is contrary one to the other. And we said in the first instance that, of course, many of these are all brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not a question of their salvation, but it's a question as we look here, I've challenged you just look at what the Word of God says. Let the Scriptures interpret themselves. Let the Scriptures interpret your emotions. Let the Scriptures interpret your experiences. Because people believe things because they've experienced it. And folks, that's real to them. That doesn't mean that that's the way that they should interpret the Scriptures. Don't let your emotions and experiences interpret what God's Word says. 
You let God's Word interpret those things in you. We find as we look in this passage here in the church as this grew, there was, there was problems, there was murmurings because a lot of the people's needs weren't being met in the way that they should be. There was this situation where the, that the widows were being overlooked. Well, you know, the murmuring started and it needed to be stopped. And of course, the apostles, they weren't belittling the importance of what needed to be done. Just the opposite, as a matter of fact. What we see here is when these, these problems begin to, to present themselves within the church that says, okay, this is a worthy thing that, that really needs to be taken care of, but not at the sacrifice of the Word of God, our teaching, our praying, our time, and being able to put forth the Word. Because if we have to start worrying about those problems, then something is going to give here. We just had a conversation this past week with, with someone in the church. And the truth was they were asking if I would be willing to do something which I'm more than happy to do. But I had to go back and say, but that should be the last option because there's no way I'm going to do that on a Sunday and be able to have the, the time that I need with the Lord to be in the pulpit prepared to, to preach God's Word. So that shouldn't be our first option, not because that I mind doing what needed to be doing. We find here that it was so important that when the, the apostles directed the people to take care of the problem, the ones that were to take care of the problem. Now, remember, there's a couple of things we can see here. They had all been filled initially with the Holy Spirit. They were first all baptized with the Holy Spirit, but we've seen the, 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 the filling of the Holy Spirit. But it's clear now in the church that they're supposed to be picking out from amongst them those that are filled with the Holy Spirit at this time. It is vital and important that even in these day-to-day -day needs that needs to be take place in the church, these practical needs, that they needed spiritual people that were full of the Holy Spirit, that were under the control of God, not under themselves, that those needs would be met. So it's not actually belittling the office of, of, of the deacon here in his service. It's actually lifting it to the point that it should be those that are spiritually in tune with God, that God has control of their lives and that God is able to accomplish what he wants to do through them. But that's how the need was going to be met, was by using those that had been filled with the Holy Spirit in their midst to accomplish that work. And we find that if you read on down in this passage, notice what happens beginning in verse 8. It says, And Stephen full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now notice, we find that the problem first begins because God was working through Stephen. Full of faith and power did great wonders and miracles among the people. God was doing wondrous things through this deacon. But that upset some people. But notice that it said in verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And they suborned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and called him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses. 
They were getting good at this because they had just recently had plenty of experience with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There was absolutely no way that they could bring this man to trial honestly. And so they're setting up the false witness which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Now, how many of you, honestly, if, if you're out there and you're doing God's work and God's doing, I mean, God's doing wondrous things through you, miraculous things. And then here's all these jealous people that come along and they start accusing you of all these wrong things and you get drugged in before the council and then they start setting up false witnesses and lying about you. And you're going to sit there and look like an angel. <laughs> Why? Folks, because of the spirit that was within him. That was not natural for any human being to be in those circumstances that even those looking at him, wow, they think they're looking at an angel. Because God was in control of this deacon that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, we find that Stephen's words, his message to the high priest and his counsel are recorded for us here in chapter 7, verses 1 through 53. And for the sake of time, and that's not our main purpose this morning, you can, you can read that sermon that was put forth, but he literally goes right back and he, and he starts with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he brings them through, uh, through Joseph and he brings them through their, all of their, their captivity in, in, in Egypt and he brings them through Moses and their, and their deliverance and, and God himself bringing his, his, his commandments to them. They're, they're 40 years in the wilderness. He goes through all of these things, bringing them, of course, to, uh, to David and, and the promises that came through that and Solomon and the, and the building of the temple. And notice what he says, picking up in verse 48, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who hath received the law by the disposition of angels and hath not kept it. <laughs> These are men sitting over him in judgment, <laughs> but he's not exactly pulling any punches. Notice what happens when they heard these things. They were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, notice Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. They stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The Bible makes it very clear. You see, this started with a problem within the church. And God met that problem with men that were full of the Holy Ghost. We find that those that were full of the Holy Ghost, because of the work of God, that work of Christ that had been transformed, that was now being accomplished through their lives, it upset a lot of people, and it will. And the New Testament tells us again, he warns us that that's going to happen. Folks, you're not going to live godly lives without facing persecution. It can't happen. We find that this one's called before, though, and Notice this man that's under God's control completely. His demeanor before those that are accusing him falsely. His boldness as he stands up there, and even though these are the men that are judging him, boldly proclaims the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. Then, when they go to put him to his death, his spirit, his demeanor, his such, that even there we only find before when the Lord Jesus Christ himself had been put to death that his compassion, his heart was going out for those that were doing it to him, asking the sin not be laid upon them for what they were accomplishing. Folks, I'm saying this is the consequences of the filling of the Holy Spirit as we look at this one and what it did in his life. Notice when he carries on in chapter 8, and Saul was consenting unto his death. At that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. We find that as we look at the consequences on the persecuted Christians, we see it when it began with Peter and John being brought before the council the consequences on the the people in the church and their possessions, their problems. We see it on the prosecution of Stephen, the first deacon. But notice as we carry on, remember that we can see it also here, there were more than just Stephen that was chosen back there in chapter 6. We see the consequences also on the preaching of Philip who was another of those that had been chosen because, specifically, he was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost. Remember, he was chosen at the same time that, that Stephen was. So when the church at Jerusalem, the Bible says here, were scattered abroad, all of them except two, except the apostles, it said. We find that this other one called Philip, this deacon, Notice what it goes on to say about him. Verse 5, Then Philip 
went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. One clean spirits, crying with loud voices, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So we find, first of all, Philip's preaching in Samaria. And we find that, that the Lord doing some tremendous and miraculous things through his ministry there. And of course, if you read on down, we want again for the sake of time, but we find as we, as we look at verses 9 through 25, we find him coming face to face with this one called Simon the sorcerer. That's important there because Simon the sorcerer is the one that had been committing magic in their midst and had had the people under his control, not because of what God was doing, but because of what he was doing with his black magic, if you would. We find that even this one, Simon the sorcerer, he was the one that, even when he heard Philip, the Bible said he believed. But of course, then he still had some wrong thinking, some wrong ideas, and, and he had to be straightened out on, on some things. But of course, during this transition period, the Lord is, remember, using the apostles as the foundation upon which he is building his church. And we see the need of the apostles' ministry because even here, even though these people had believed under Philip, and this is not going to be the focus, but it's important to know they had believed under Philip who was preaching, who was performing miracles, but they were not able to receive the Holy Spirit until the apostles, Peter and John, came to them that they were then able to receive that same Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Peter and John did come down to Samaria, and the people did receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Of course, nothing is said there about the filling of the Holy Spirit, but it came upon them as it had them in the early days. Now, you also find, of course, a passage that we look at many times there during baptismal services, picking up in verse 26 and reading down through verse 40. Philip's preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. And of course, again, remember, Philip is a deacon, a representative. The church itself, they don't have a building to, to meet in anymore because they've been scattered abroad because of the persecutions. But he's still, he is one of the representatives of that church at Jerusalem. And God is still using him, even though he's not inside of a building with four walls upon it. And he reaches out to this Ethiopian eunuch. So we find that during the persecutions of the church, when it looked like that the church was literally being ripped apart and destroyed, that God was doing great things through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we see the consequences, and I challenge you to show me here the consequences of the filling of the Holy Spirit were those things that fulfilled what Jesus Christ said. You see, the focus can get wrong. Now, as we look there, I want you to notice, fifthly, the consequences on Paul. <laughs> Recall that we just read there a few moments ago that there was that one called Saul right there at Stephen's execution who consented to what was going on. We find him again here in chapter 9. 
we find him persecuting the church. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And of course, we find that that was the journey that he was headed out on, on his way to Damascus to destroy some more Christians. When we find that it says, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told to thee what thou must do. And of course we find that he obeys what he's told to do. Notice down in verse 17. Of course, Paul is blinded by this at the time. Verse 17, though, he says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now something's changed. Every instant up to this point, who's been present for someone to receive the Holy Spirit? One of the apostles. Here is one that's about to become apostle, and Ananias is not an apostle, is he? But suddenly he's the one that God is using here now, for the first time that we have recorded in Scripture. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. For their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. When Saul was become to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and went, sent him forth to Tarsus then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. We find that here it's the Holy Spirit that is working on the life of this one that was as big an enemy 
in the day that, that the church had. His whole purpose was to destroy the Christians and to destroy the church. And yet we find that it was him that was first saved, that then was filled with the Holy Spirit, that again, immediately, the Bible says, he began to preach in the synagogue, to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that the same Paul, along with Barnabas, is the same one that if you look over into chapter 13, notice the Holy Spirit is still working there. When he says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. When they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. When they had gone throughout the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Barjesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God, but Elymas the sorcerer, for so in his name by interpretation withstood him, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, notice, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. We see here them working under, again, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God spells out specifically, of course, not only was it the Holy Spirit that was working in them to get them there in the first place, but when he came up against the sorcerer, it was the feeling of the Holy Spirit that he was able to stand and he was able to face him. He was able once again to boldly just look him in the face and proclaim forth the truth of God. You find that it was because of the God that was working through him. And we looked at chapter 9. Chapter 10 really just shows us once again the consequences on Peter as he's used to carry the gospel to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius. Again, we see the, the salvation of this household, and we, we see the Holy Spirit come upon them. Of course, that being the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, shows us Peter explaining to the other apostles what God had done for the Gentiles because they weren't very happy when this had all been shared with the Gentiles as well. Acts chapter 11 Verses 19 to 26 records the consequences on the Spirit-filled saints from Jerusalem that had been scattered 
due to Stephen's persecutions. <clears throat> Notice what it says. It says, Now when they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto Jews only. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which is in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And when he came, he had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You see, all of this church, all of the saints had been just scattered abroad. We find here that the church at Antioch God had brought them together, and God brought this one, Barnabas, again, full of the Holy Ghost. That's how God is accomplishing his work here. And as they stood and they spent this year and they taught the Word of God, we find that it was through this ministry of this one that was full of the Holy Ghost that these people first began to be called Christians. Christians. To be little Christ. To be like Christ himself. Why? Because Christ was being seen in the lives. As you continue through Acts, of course, you continue to see the Holy Spirit working wonderful and wondrous and miraculous works through the apostles. We've certainly seen enough already to know that it was the Holy Spirit, the one on which the apostles were to wait before embarking on their mission that Christ had, had left for them to do, just as he had promised that he would. He came. The Bible teaches us they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The consequences are clear. Now, so many times it's easy to get focused on the side issues. When we look at all that's taken place here in the book of Acts, so many gets their focus upon this gift of languages, of tongues. That was certainly something that was real. It was something that was of God, not of man. It was something that was used of God to accomplish the very purpose for which he had already promised and said that the Holy Spirit was coming. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit was not that people would be gifted with languages. It wasn't to be evidenced by that. That was not the focus at all. That just happened to be a tool that was being used to accomplish the purpose. The greatest result that I see in the Word of God from the gift of languages, and yes, it was used as a sign to the Jews. It was a fulfillment of the prophecy of the book of Joel. 
The greatest miracle of it was all of these people being able to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their own language. <laughs> Why? Because folks, how can they believe unless they hear? Paul makes this so clear in Romans chapter 10 after giving those wonderful verses that we use so many times in leading others to Christ. Somebody's got to tell them, for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Why does the focus, why does so much attention have to be put upon something that was, that was never the issue in the first place? That's not our subject today, and 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 will give you great insight into the gifts and the importance of them, how that God gives them, and God's teachings concerning those gifts. Don't get your focus wrong even there. He teaches that everyone, all of them, have been baptized by the Holy Spirit but not all of them speak with tongues. He teaches them that it's the very least of the gifts that God has given to them. There's all these things that are so important. Why the focus upon something? Why? Because it can so easily be such a showboat. And I've seen people so hurt and even destroyed by that. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'm challenging you today, look at what God says and interpret whatever is going on in your life. Interpret it by God's Word. But by the same token, Christians, I've said before, don't try to put God in some kind of a little box to act the way that you want Him to act, to do things the way that you want Him to do it in your orderly little fashion. God is a God of order. And He should be reverenced in all things. But God can do anything He wants to do. But He doesn't do it just to put on a show. He doesn't do it just to entertain. He doesn't do it just so somebody can have a whopping good time. His purposes are the same with the Holy Spirit that they've always been. That's that Jesus Christ might be magnified and glorified, that souls could be saved. Let God do I don't care if it doesn't feel comfortable. If God wants to do things through you that will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, let him do it. Don't get sidetracked on the issues that are not important. Don't let these experiences somehow guide how that you're going to understand the Word of God, but let the Word of God. Always be your guide and your source for judging all of these things. Now that I've totally lost my place in my notes, can I just say kindly and at the same time firmly that as we've looked at these passages that God has given us, as we've noted the consequences that are recorded in every instance that came as a result of the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Folks, in every case, we see that which is in perfect accord with the very purposes that Jesus Christ gave us in His reasons for sending the Holy Spirit. Even in this, which 
granted, is a, a transitional book. The New Testament was still being written. God was having to use His apostles, and He was having to prove who they were because you didn't have the Word of God yet. The church didn't have it written down. And so He had to do some, some wonderful things through them. God hasn't changed. God can do wonderful and exciting and miraculous things through you. But it'll always be for His purpose. <laughs> Not so you can be shown how spiritual you are. As a matter of fact, these kind of sign gifts and things that are a thing in the, in the past, I've seen them destroy more than I've helped. I've seen people's spiritual lives absolutely shattered because they were so belittled by others because of them. God has given us His Word. We have the New Testament to take our stand upon. We find no disagreement in God's Word with His purposes and the consequences of what happened. And again, you know, there's probably just as much danger today, if not more so, of those that shy away and back away. And we will look at a few things, not this morning. Too many times we hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. We quench the Spirit. We're afraid sometimes because of abuses and things that we've seen and if there's one thing we've been trying to grasp these last few weeks, we need God to take control, to take control of our lives individually and to take absolute control of this church. If we're to see His work accomplished, that's the only way that it'll ever be. We can become such professional Christians that we just write Him out of the picture because we've got it all figured out already. We need Him to rend the heavens. We need God to move in our midst. We need Him to have control. Starting in this pulpit and right through every one of you here today and those that are not here. It's not always comfortable, we said, when God starts doing what He wants to do. Folks, we're not here to be comfortable today. I've already said we're not here to be entertained today. We're here to worship, to magnify, to glorify Him, that His work might be accomplished. We need God to rend the heavens for us. We need God's power amongst us in our testimonies, in our ministry. We need Him to work amongst us in His own way, in His unlimited power, no matter what He does and how He does it. It will never, ever disagree with His Word. It will always be in agreement. We need desperately to know today, each and every one of us, without any doubt that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
that can only come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work. That's the only way that the Holy Spirit can baptize you into the family of God, into the church that one day will be presented as a perfect bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, today, do you know that with certainty? And Christians, God needs control of our lives. God wants to control our lives. And if his work is to be accomplished, which is why he sent him in the first place, he must control our lives. The consequences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is so that Christ can truly accomplish his purpose in your life, in my life, and in the lives of those people around us that he works through us to reach them. Father, we thank you today. Lord, as we have looked at these instances, and Lord, we know that even now, Father, so much time could be spent upon this subject. We've tried, Lord, to use the Word of God to, to look and to evidence the fact. Lord, on the one hand of how much we need every one of us as your children, to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. Not so we can have a hope law of a time down here. Not so we can show others how spiritual that we might be. But Father, just as we see your work being accomplished in Scripture, that you might be able to accomplish through us the work that you want to accomplish. Father, I pray that you would take our lives and mold us and make us and use us for your glory. But you would take and, Father, help us not to be happy, not to be satisfied with just the status quo of knowing that, oh, we're going to heaven one day. Help us to be concerned about today and your work being accomplished this day through us in whatever way that you would see fit. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.